Well, hey, all you wiretappers out there, I'm back here in the studio of Gangland Wire, as you can tell, uh, doing another little YouTube thing, uh, primarily, but I'll put the audio up too. Uh, you know, I'm doing these trying to amp up my YouTube, so, you know, like them, share them, tell your friends about my YouTube channel. I'll continue to do these as long as the YouTube channel builds. Uh, and I want to get it. I want to get it caught up with the uh, with the audio podcast, which is about probably I don't know three or four times as big right now as far as listeners. I'll be losing listeners from the pod audio back over to video probably if, as word gets around. But I don't know. It's all fun for me. You know, it's all gravy, and I just have a good time doing this kind of stuff. I've always loved the mob. I'll never forget the first mob book I read. I was hooked. I was probably, I don't know, 15, 16 years old. I think it was a green felt jungle, but I'm not sure. Um, I remember reading uh, Ralph Salerno, the famous New York police intelligence guy, wrote a book all about the mob way back in the day. And when I finally got to go to the intelligence unit, I thought, hey, and then I met a guy from New York, the New York PD intelligence, and he knew Ralph Salerno. And he said, you know, he said, Salerno never really went out and, and did the street work. He sat back in the office and read reports. That's why I knew so much. And then they sent him down to uh, Washington to testify in some famous uh, hearings down there. I don't remember which ones, but anyhow. So here's the story today. What is the deal with the mob making Steven Seagal cry? Now, I kind of started looking into this. It just kind of, it's, it's piqued everybody's attention. You know, Sammy the Bull Gravano's got a story about it, but let's start off with kind of naming some of the characters. There was a Staten Island guy. Here's what drew my attention to it. There's a Staten Island guy named Primo Casarino Jr., who is allegedly a Colombo family associate. He was recently sent to prison for a bookmaking and loan sharking scheme. And of interest is that his father is Primo Casarino Sr., it was a made guy in that Gambino crime family who was once described by his own lawyer as the foulest mouth of Brooklyn. Now, here's some examples I found of uh, Casarino Sr.'s mouth. A grease ball bleeping bleep. You're a grease ball no good bleep. You're a bleeping slimy bleeper. You better not let me see your bleeping face. So you can fill in the adjectives and uh, I don't want to get into my podcast in trouble. But I, I just, I don't know, I just don't. That language is good on the streets and I've used it myself, but not right here. Probably add a little effect for you, but you know, I don't, that's, that's cheap. You know, to me, that's cheap. Uh, Primo Casarino Sr. will eventually get caught up in a racketeering conspiracy in 2004 with Gambino Capo Anthony Sassone, and he'll get convicted with, who was then the Gambino boss, Peter Agatti, after John Gotti went to the joint, I guess, uh, well, it had to be. About a year later, Casarino Sr. took a deal and testified against a Genovese labor racketeer named Lawrence Ricci for diverting money from the Longshoremen's Union to the mob. And I think he's in witness protection now, as far as I can tell. But Sassoni and Casarino Sr. are the people that made Steven Seagal cry or where he ended up crying. And so what is the deal with this really? Now, I'll tell you, go back, Sammy the Bull, has claimed that the Gambino family owned Seagal and Seagal have been paying them money out of all his productions all along, a, a lot of money. But then he converted to Buddhism and he quit paying he, and he, he also quit doing movies. He had a deal going with a mobbed up movies producer named Julius Nasso and he had four more movies to shoot with him and, and he refused to do them. 
but this is kind of during the time when he, he, I guess he changed up a little bit. He did that reality TV show, uh, uh, Seagal did, where he actually went out on the streets and stopped cars and, you know, people would open their door, look up, and there's this huge big guy standing there and they go, oh, well, you're, you're Steven Seagal. He did, he gave him judo training. I guess he's some kind of a judo guy and jujitsu or something. And so he, he did that judo training. I saw a few of those episodes, I hate to admit it, but I did. Now, Gravino will claim that the FBI taped a meeting between this Anthony Gambino, Capo Anthony Sassoni, and Casarino Sr. And then the FBI later confronted Seagal with this tape and told him he has to testify because they were extorting money from him in this meeting. I think that probably is true because uh, Seagal did testify testify against the Sony Casarino Sr. and Peter Gotti in a big racketeering trial. Now, what Sammy the Bull claims is that the FBI agents who were in attendance that day told him that when Seagal testified, he took a child's blanket to hold as a comfort while he was on the stand. And then when he left the stand and got back in the witness room, Sammy the Bull says that he Seagal broke down and cried, and, and the two agents had to hug him and comfort him. Now, let's take a little closer look at this story. Best I can tell from uh, doing research at different legitimate sources, sources newspapers in particular, and, and different uh, mob websites that I trust. Uh, in 2001, there was a mobbed up movie producer named Julius Nasso, and he had a dis dispute with his former friend and business associate, Steven Seagal. Uh, he had made several pictures in the past with Seagal and let me get those names. There's too many of them for me to remember. Uh, let me look, I'm gonna have to look down my list for these names. I can't, uh, I can't remember all this. They were above the law. A lot, you've heard of all these, hard to kill, uh, mark for death, out for justice, <laughs> under siege, Deadly Grounds, Under Siege 2, The Glimmer Man, Fire Down Below, The Patriot. And this was all during the 1990s. These movies were all done with Nassau for another company out in Los Angeles. And in 2001, he had come back to New York and he, he wanted to do some more pictures. And he made some little higher class pictures than those. He made NARC, for example, which won the Sundance award and, and this is when he had a deal among other movies to do four more action movies with Steven Seagal and supposedly Steven Seagal did not he had converted to Buddhism or was getting involved in Buddhism and he didn't want to do any more pictures with all the violence in it at the time although he did do some at the time Sammy the Bull claims that he that he refused to do any more pictures of the violence in him himself so we're not too sure where this what where this lies now, Nasso sued Seagal, and he also took the non-judicial route, shall we say, <laughs> extrajudicial route of enlisting the Gambino crime family. He was probably, he was the one that's been kicking up money from his movie business to the Gambino crime family, probably. I, maybe Seagal was, I don't know. I, I have a little trouble with that story. So in January 2001, this Primo Casarino Sr. and his, his capo in the Gambino family, Anthony Sassone, cooked up a kind of a bizarre attempt to extort money from Steven Seagal. And on 
behalf of this mobbed up movie producer, Julius R. Nasso. First thing, Anthony Sassone visited Seagal on a movie set. Actually, I think it was in Canada. And Seagal, you know, blew him off, said, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not paying you that money. I don't know that guy anything. And so the next logical step in the mob's playbook is what? Classic mob procedure. They take him for a ride. So when they're going to put him in the car, Seagal will later say that he took a gun to this meeting, but he had agreed to come to this meeting, but he refused to sit in the front seat for obvious reasons. And later, Casarino was taped saying, how the bleep do you put him in the back? He's six foot, what, five? He didn't want anybody to shoot him in the bleep in the head. If he's sitting in the front, I'm right behind him. <laughs> they took him to a meeting with the capo, Anthony Sassoni, sitting back in a restaurant, you know, like the Godfather. I can just see it now. He's sitting back like the Godfather. <laughs> he makes him an offer he can't refuse. And that offer was to pay Sassoni to pay to buy off NASA $150,000 for each of these four pictures that NASA claims he was owed. And then Siegel would be off the hook. Then he refuses again that night, supposedly, and, and they threaten to kill him. The hard to kill, to go back to one of his title, titles, hard to kill Siegel got out of that meeting unharmed. And, and so he, again, he's going to try his own extrajudicial way to mediate this dispute and not go to court. Uh, there already is a civil case in court. These guys, you know, they don't really want to wait the two or three years or five years, whatever, for it to wind its way through the civil procedures and pay lawyers all that money. It goes to the Genovese crime family to get a uh, somebody to help him broker a deal. He visits uh, a Genovese captain, Angelo Prisco, in prison. He must have had some connection to him. I don't know what his connection was. And ask him to come back in and step in as a peacemaker or get somebody to. And, and he did later pay Prisco's attorney $10,000. Maybe that's for the access. I don't know if they were going to actually get it mediated for $10,000. I don't know, a $150,000, $500,000 deal million dollar deal they're talking about. I don't know if uh, Frisco is going to take 10 grand to mediate that. It's kind of this, you know, extrajudicial deal that the mob, you know, it really starts in Sicily that they have set up to mediate disputes. In 2003, uh, Steven Seagal will appear at the racketeering trial of Peter Gotti the boss of the Gambino family by this time and his capo Anthony Sassoni and Primo Casarino Sr. And he did bring that the Bureau charged them with trying to extort money from Seagal as, as well as a whole bunch of other racketeering charges and, and, and other uh, activities, mob activities. I don't remember what it all is not really important only dealing with Seagal here. Now, that's where he claimed to the court and testimony that he'd carried a gun to that meeting with Casarino Sr. and Sassoni. But he went, he pled the Fifth Amendment several times and he told the jury, he said, you know, I'm only there because the government's forcing me to. And, and what, he what he did claim in court was that he had refused to work with Nasso, not because he was a Buddhist, but because Nasso was a drug user and given the violent outburst, he was just tired of working with him, which, you know, I can understand that. Now, that's probably more true than anything because he made other violent type movies after that. Said he'd already paid Nasso as much as $700,000 even after he met with Sassoni and, and 
you know, kind of begs a question. I think somebody asked him, you know, why didn't he go to the government for help? Why the government have to come and get him? And he said, you know, I'm just too well known. He said, I could never hide out in the witness protection program. You know, what am I going to do? How, how am I going to hide out? Because that's all crap. If you ask me, Alan Glick testified against the, the, the outfit bosses in Chicago among bosses in Kansas City, Milwaukee, and Cleveland. He went back to San Diego. He did live in kind of a, a, a gated community, but, you know, he hired some off-duty Chicago, I mean, San Diego coppers to, to run some security and do some protection for him, but he lived out his life. Lefty Rosenthal lived out his life. They did have one attempt on him, but they didn't try him again. And there's a lot of people, well, Frank Collada came back and, and gave tours down in, out in Las Vegas. So, you know, this whole thing about the mob will get you no matter what and where they have in the past, but they've not in the past too. So anyhow, he, you know, and Steven Seagal was right. He couldn't hide out the witness protection program unless I guess if he went to Africa or even there, he was so popular worldwide and so distinctive in those movies. And I don't think I have to agree with Steven Seagal. He, he could not hide out. Now, a lot of this I found in the New York Times reports about this trial. And I really couldn't find any other documentation about the crying incident that uh, what, the, what the Bureau said, what, what Samuel Gravano had said that the Bureau agents told him who were working with him. If you remember that Steven Seagal, after he testified, had gone back into the witness room and, and broke down into tears and, and asked an agent to hug him and hold him. So. I don't know, you know, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. So kind of wind us down or finish this off. Uh, in 2003, Peter Gotti, Primo Casarino, and Anthony Sassoni and some others were convicted of labor racketeering extortion and 63 other counts of racketeering influence and corrupt organizations act, uh, RICO act. Steven Seagal, as I said, did testify for the prosecution about the mobsters extortion after, you know, he had to, they had to have a lot, did a lot of pushing and he still bled the fifth several times. Uh, this Gambino associated movie producer, Julius Nasso will plead guilty to the charge of extortion conspiracy on Steven Seagal in August, 2003. And, 2004. So he gets a year and a day in penitentiary, which that means it's a felony. When they give you a year or more, it means it's a felony. Find a bunch of money. And he was ordered to take mental health counseling on release from jail. I guess they bought uh, Seagal's story that, that he was a nutcase and unstable. Eventually, by 2008, the civil court case between Seagal and Nassau is winding its way through. He agrees to drop the $60 million lawsuit and they made some kind of out-of-court settlement. So who knows? Casarino Sr. is in jail, 2004, for labor racketeering extortion. And he's got 11 years. And then our friend Casarino Sr., uh, a couple years later, he gets a chance to testify against a guy named Lawrence Ricci, who was a Genovese dude who was involved in the International Longshoremen's Association in New Jersey. And he had diverted hundreds of thousands of dollars to his mob bosses for some out of some kind of a medical fund for the longshoremen. So he testifies against that guy. And I have to assume is out on witness protection somewhere now. I don't know exactly where he is. Uh, Richie ends up dead in the trunk shortly after his uh, he was convicted of this so or charged with it so 
I don't know, you know, you can't tell the uh, players without a scorecard, and sometimes the scorecards are all over the place. So, oh, that, so that's the story of how the mob made Steven Seagal cry. You know, I, I don't know if they did or not, but it makes a pretty good story. Thanks, folks. And remember, if you have any problems with PTSD and you've been in the military, be sure and Google PTSD and VA and you'll find a hotline, a lot of information. And even if you haven't been in the military, why seek out help for PTSD, it's out there. Look out for motorcycles and thanks a lot for supporting the podcast.